¿Cómo está la banda? La la Baramay. ¿Cómo están amigos? Bienvenidos al primer podcast de este mes de febrero. ¿Cómo han estado? Espero todo bien con ustedes, con sus familias y con toda la banda. Les recuerdo que cada lunes sale un nuevo podcast de este podcast llamado ¿Cómo está la banda? Cada lunes un episodio nuevo. Les agradecemos a todos los que nos vienen siguiendo desde los últimos años. Muchas gracias. A todos los nuevos suscriptores, bienvenidos. Y lo único que tienen que hacer es, es clic aquí abajo para suscribirse y apoyar este canal. También los que les interese tener otro tipo de contenido, tener acceso a otro tipo de contenido, los invitamos a que se suscriban al círculo de amigos de cómo está la banda en patreon.com diagonal piropendaz. Ok, ya se la saben. Todas las semanas es más o menos lo mismo. El pasado viernes... 3 de febrero a las 12 del día estrenamos el Lyric Video de Pistolero, el nuevo sencillo de Ritmo Peligroso, que forma parte de nuestro disco de 45 aniversario. <coughs> eh, está padre, está hecho con animación, con caricaturas en neón y, y quedó bastante chido y ha tenido bastante acogida por parte de la banda. Eh, si quieren pasar y verlo ahí en el, en el canal oficial de Ritmo Peligroso en YouTube, el Ritmo Peligroso Oficial, y ya de paso se pueden suscribir al canal de Ritmo Peligroso y apoyarnos. Amigos, seguimos ahora con unos comentarios de YouTube. El primero es de Oscar Gómez. Inicio diciendo que Ceci Bastida era mi crush en principio de los 90. Le escuchaba en un promo de Radio Tamaulipas en Ciudad Victoria por allá del 92-93. Ella ponía la voz y me encantaba. Tijuana no fue de mis bandas favoritas de los 90. Los vi en un par de ocasiones. Una de ellas cuando estuvieron a punto de agarrarse a golpes con los héroes del silencio en pleno escenario en Monterrey, Nuevo León. Gracias, Piro, por traer a una de las mujeres que destacaron en el rock mexicano de la década culebra. Como siempre, me has alegrado la semana con tu podcast. ¿Cómo está la banda? Gracias, Omar. Pues qué buena onda, mano. De eso se trata de estar este, trayendo contenido que les agrade a todos ustedes y puta, ya me imagino el numerito de, de Tijuana no a punto de agarrarse a golpes con los héroes del silencio ahí en, en pleno escenario, ha de haber sido todo un acontecimiento por otro lado, Mauricio, eh, Mauricio Eugenio Galas Dávila nos dice estaría chingón escuchar en este espacio a más mujeres de los 90 tipo Eli Guerra, Julieta por supuesto, o a Rosa Adame. Escuchar su perspectiva de mujeres. El programa con Cecilia Tucente estuvo chingón. Es muy emotivo escuchar a los seres humanos detrás de esa música que nos marcó a tantos. Qué gran proyecto, Piro. Muchas gracias por tu chamba. Se nota que la haces de corazón. Pues sí, sí, la verdad, este, si no lo hiciéramos de corazón, pa, de corazón, ¿para qué lo hacemos? no? A Rosa Adame la vi hace poco en el Teatro Metropolitan. Es carnala. Es muy amiga, igual que Héctor. Sí, ¿por qué no vamos a invitar a Rosa? Yo creo que Rosa sí nos podría visitar rápido. Y vamos a seguir insistiéndole a él y a, y a Julieta. Amigos, traigo saludos muy especiales para Gilberto Humar. Gilberto tiene un sello independiente que se llama Rodado Ponchado Records. Nos mandó, nos mandó varias bandas de su catálogo, pero ahorita voy a mencionar a tres. Ya más adelante mencionaré otras más. Él es de Aguaprieta, Sonora, radica en el sur de Arizona. Y realmente tiene un sello muy interesante donde apoya a bandas como Catarsis de Cuba, que es como un hard, hardcore punk, pero pues el cuate canta con un acento 
que para nada te imaginas que es cubano. O sea, no creas que cata, oye, tú ven para acá. No, nada, nada de eso. El cuate tiene como que, que su onda muy natural. Este disco se llama De qué estamos hablando. Y son varias rolitas bien intensas. Tienen muchísima rabia. Me gustó mucho su onda. La otra banda madrileña se llama Mamá Ladilla. Y este disco se llama Bilis, donde la rola de Crisis, este es un EP de cinco canciones, la canción de Crisis me gustó muchísimo. Entonces está muy variado, ¿no? Porque está apoyando por un lado la música alternativa cubana y por otro lado la música alternativa en Madrid. Y por último me mandó el vinilo de Octopulpe. Eh, este es un cuate muy interesante, que es este francés, pero vive en Corea del Sur. Y hace una música punk, hardcore punk, eh, y, y la verdad me pareció muy, muy, muy interesante lo que hace sus rolas, muy bien este, estructuradas. Y este disco que se llama Quichon Pré, es el nuevo disco de Octopulpe, que ahora precisamente se va de gira. Y aquí al lado nos van a hacer el favor, Juan Pablo y, y su equipo, de ponernos el arte con todas la, las fechas de Octopulpe, en Sudamérica, hace esta gira por Sudamérica, por Ecuador, por Perú, por Brasil, por Argentina, por Chile, por cualquier cantidad de países. Eh, le agradecemos a Gilberto Humar, un saludo hasta Aguaprieta, Sonora y, allá, y también allá en el sur de, de Arizona, por mandarnos parte de su catálogo de Rodado Ponchado Records. Muy interesante, acérquense, aquí le vamos a dejar los links de todas las bandas y el link de Rodado Ponchado Records, que se llama alchingazo.com. Todos los links, como siempre, aquí se los vamos a dejar. Amigos, queremos saludar al fan de la semana, Eduardo Cervantes. Gracias, Eduardo. Te mandamos, como siempre, un abrazo en nombre de, de Piro y todo el equipo de cómo está la banda. Y ahora, ¿a dónde nos vamos? Nos vamos a una recomendación. Banda. Eh, casi siempre les traigo vinilos y les traigo música de antaño pero hoy les traigo un disco recién salido del horno y estoy hablando del nuevo disco de Iggy Pop que se llama Every Loser está muy bueno es realmente admirable como a sus 75 años todavía no pierde esa garra esa actitud como cantante el disco tiene unas canciones así super radicales en la onda punk que es lo que lo caracterizó durante tantos años lo que lo ha caracterizado a lo largo de toda una vida y también tiene este tipo de baladas un poco más eh, personales, más emotivas donde Iggy canta en un tono más grave, medio hablado y realmente como siempre está rodeado de gente increíble en este caso, en casi todas las rolas colabora Chad Smith el baterista de los Red Hot Chili Peppers y el Josh Klinghoffer, que no sé si saben que durante muchos años fue el técnico de guitarra de John Frusciante, el guitarrista de los Red Hot Chili Peppers que enriqueció tanto esta banda. Pues cuando se tomó otro break, el, el John Frusciante, que ya sabemos que se ha tomado varios, entró el Josh Klinghoffer y estuvo tocando con ellos en, el, en, en un par de discos y ahora ya regresó este John Frusciante. Pero mientras Josh Klinghoffer está aquí colaborando en este disco con Iggy Pop. Y también tengo entendido que anda por ahí tocando en vivo con Pearl Jam. Viene qué buena foto del buen Iggy Pop ahí. Echando estilo. 75 años. También colabora en un par de rolas el Dove McKagan, el bajista de Guns N' Roses. 
Está también en una canción Stone Gossard, el guitarrista de Pearl Jam y Dave Navarro. Y en otra rol está también Taylor Hawkins, el difunto baterista de Foo Fighters. Así que es un disco bien rock and rollero. Se los recomiendo que lo escuchen de principio a fin. Este es el CD con una caricatura que probablemente es de él. El disco es producido por el multiinstrumentista que en esta ocasión lo acompaña, que se llama Andrew Watt. Así que ya saben, amigos, acérquense a este disco de Iggy Pop que se llama Every Loser, Cada Perdedor, que acaba de salir hace un par de semanas. Recién salidito, se los recomiendo que lo escuchen de principio a fin. Abre con la canción de Frenesí y termina con la canción de La Regencia. 11 canciones bien diseñadas, bien estructuradas al estilo de Iggy Pop. Todo mi respeto al maestro James Osterberg, mejor conocido en el bajo mundo como Iggy Pop. Les recuerdo que me pueden seguir en Instagram, en Facebook, en Twitter, donde siempre estamos activos. Suscríbete a nuestro canal de YouTube, solo tienes que hacer clic aquí abajo. Únete al círculo de amigos de cómo está la banda en patreon.com diagonal piropendaz. Les recuerdo que todo el merchandise, tanto de Ritmo Peligroso, como de muchas bandas de rock, está en bonustrack.shop, incluyendo el merchandise de cómo está la banda. Abajo, como siempre, están todos los links. Y también los invito y les recuerdo que nos dejen comentarios en YouTube. Nunca sabes si a lo mejor uno de tus comentarios será escogido para leerlo en el siguiente episodio. También quiero volver a agradecerle a Gilberto Umar por su contacto con este personaje que vamos a continuación. Es nuestra primera entrevista en inglés y pues nos dedicamos a traducirla lo más cercano posible y tenemos subtítulos en español para que todo quede bien clarito, bien planchado y bien ordenadito en esta entrevista. Estamos hablando de Monty, Monty A. Melnick, que fue el tour manager por más de 20 años de la increíble banda The Ramones. Él estuvo ahí en el balneario Pantitlán cuando los Ramones fueron a tocar a México y nos contó varias cosas muy interesantes. Monty A. Melnick tuvo una banda y fue un artista firmado con 30 Days Out, así se llamaba su grupo, y firmaron con Reprise Warner Brothers Records en el 71-72. Así que cuando él entró a trabajar con los Ramones, él ya tenía una cierta experiencia en este mundo de la música porque había tenido su banda y había sido un artista de Reprise y Warner Brothers. Monty pasó más de 20 años, de 1976 a 1996, como tour manager de la legendaria banda de punk rock The Ramones, de gira por todo el mundo y trabajando en más de 2.200 conciertos. ¿Qué tal, eh? Es el autor del libro On the Road with the Ramones, Bonus Edition, en Amazon. Porque está la primera edición y después le agregó más cosas y sacó esta edición con un bonus. Les recomiendo que se acerquen a este libro. Está la versión argentina en español, por si lo quieren leer. También se ha desempeñado como supervisor audiovisual en el New York Hall of Science durante más de 16 años, del 2003 al 2019. Actualmente Monty trabaja como gerente interno en Queens Theater in the Park, el teatro en el parque de Queens, el principal centro de artes escénicas en Queens, Nueva York. Así que amigos, vámonos con este personaje muy interesante que vivió cualquier cantidad de experiencias con los Ramones, Monty A. Melnick, en este segmento que se llama Entre Amigos y Vinilo. Okay, so let's take it from here, Monty. It's really a pleasure, a pleasure, pleasure to have you here in Como Está la Banda. Um, you're our first. English speaking 
guest that we're having here. So it's 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 oh. kind of a really, really great day for us. And especially somebody that worked for more than 20 years with the Ramones, 2,200 shows. It says easily, but it was a lifetime, man. And it was. And, and I'll say something in Spanish. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you, Monty? What have you been up to? Uh, you know, I do a lot of podcasts and a couple of them. Um, I've been doing some uh, Ramones co um, conventions and stuff like that. And uh, I also have a part time job at uh, a Queen's Theater here. I'm in house manager, Queen's Theater in uh, Corona, uh, uh, Queens, uh, okay. a couple of times a month there. Keeps me busy here and there. And that theater is, a, um, um, do, do, does it have live events? Or is oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a multi-purpose theater. We do uh, plays and musical events and uh, comedy and different stuff. We have three different venues there: a 474th seat theater, a black box for about 100, and a small uh, cabaret theater for about 60 people. So uh, it's uh, just getting back because of the pandemic. So it's a little slow now, but yeah. Uh, We do also yeah. do different cultural events, uh, Spanish stuff and Chinese and, and people rent the place out. So multicultural. Nice. And um, well, obviously, we need to start from the beginning. I wanted to ask you, how did it all start? I believe you were pretty close to Tommy, to Tommy Ramon, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, you, you've read the book, right? I was try. I, I I tried to read the book before interviewing you, man, but I didn't have the time. I'm sorry about that. Oh, okay. Uh, But well, I, it's, it's on its way. I ordered it from Amazon, so I'll be okay. reading it. <laughs> That's on Amazon.com worldwide, by the way. Just just the English version. Uh, I think you can get the Brazilian version on Amazon. I'm not sure. No, I um, want to read it in English, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I grew up in Forest Hills, and Tommy Ramon was one of my best friends. I met him in junior high school. Wow. Went to junior high school with Tommy, and uh, we were in the chorus together. And then we went to high school together, Farsfield High School, along with uh, Johnny, Joey, and Dee Dee. And uh, I was in several bands before the Ramones because I played bass. Tommy was a guitar player, and he had several bands. Uh, and I was in several bands with Tommy. Actually, I saw Tommy and Johnny at a um, event in Farsfield High School talent show, 1960. Six, I think it was. They played a group called the Tangerine Puppets. Johnny was playing bass at the time, and Tommy was on guitar. I saw them play in Forest Hills High School, and uh, later on, Tommy and I um, collaborated in several different musical events, uh, uh, bands. I played bass, and he was guitar. And so I knew Tommy for like uh, over 50 years altogether, you know. And we started performing studios together, where the Ramones first got together. Uh, And rehearsed and well, they rehearsed in Doug, Joey's mother's basement first. But then uh, Tommy and I built a studio on 20th Street in, in New York called Performance Studios. And he, uh, we had time there for our own. We managed a place. We built the place and we managed a place. And I had my own groups and Tommy had just wanted to uh, manage and produce the Ramones. He brought them in as a three piece at the time. That's how I first got together with the Ramones. And Tommy was born in Hungary, right? Yes, he came to the United States in the 57, I believe. If you go to Hungary now, there's they have a plaque on the wall where he grew up in his apartment house. It's really nice, you know. He was, he's like a big uh, personality in Hungary. Ah, shame, the book is out in Hungarian. Okay. They put it out in Hungarian, too. Somewhere you can find it. 
And how were and how were those early years? How did you start collaborating with them? You were probably in all those years in the CBGB when when the punk movement started developing and the Talking Heads and Blondie and everybody was there, right? Well, as I said, uh, I was with Tommy in the performance studio, so we had, we had we managed to play some got time to do our own projects. I was doing my own uh, different. You know, in 1971-72, I was have two albums on reprise Warner Brothers records and a group called 30 Days Out. It's like a country rock band. So I was pretty seasoned musician at the time. Okay. Uh, but at that time, I was running uh, performance studios showcase for the Ramones. They would come in and uh, I would run the sound for them, you know. And Tommy had joined the group because they couldn't find, there was a three-piece group at the first Ramones. It was just Joey on drums, actually. And Tommy uh, was just producing them and Dee Dee on bass and singing and Johnny on guitar. And uh, Dee Dee was having a hard time like singing and playing. So he heard Joey had a good voice. He pulled Joey off the drums and uh, they started looking for drummers. But at that time, the Ramones were so raw. Nobody understood what they were doing. But Tommy was a great musician. He was a guitar player, really, but he also could play drums. So he sat down on the drums and tried to show uh, drummers what's to play and nobody could get it. So he, they said, join the group. So he joined the group. So they started doing showcases there, and I started running the sound for them. And these showcases, which is, you know, they bring in people, they invite friends, and you know, try to get managers and record companies down to see them in the studio there. And then they started getting a few jobs out in CBGBs, and they asked me to come and do the sound for them there. And at, unfortunately, at that time, the uh, performance studios had to shut down. We had problems with the neighbors, and they, they took us to court. So that shut down, but then all of a sudden, the Ramones started getting jobs. So I jumped over to them doing like sound first for them and then all of a sudden uh, doing everything in the, in, in the early years. That's how I got involved with the Ramones, you know, setting up the equipment, driving and all that. And the bigger they got, the more people we could hire. So I you know, I hired like uh, drum roadies and guitar roadies and uh, people driving around in trucks and stuff. So I worked my way up from like road manager to tour manager over the years. But I knew Tommy from junior high school. Wow. Well, man, you're practically like maybe the fifth Ramon. Well, yeah. <laughs> People say that all the time. I, actually, Mark is the fifth Ramon, and it goes up from there, yeah. Mark, okay. Richie's. Maybe ninth or, you know, doctoral, maybe ninth, me tenth or something like that. You know what I mean? I don't like to say the fifth Ramon because actually Marky was the fifth Ramon. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Marky came from uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids, right? What a great yeah. band also. I, I used to like them a lot. And he was great metal, heavy metal band, Dust. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Kenny Aronson and couple of people in that group. It's heavy metal. He was, that was way before uh, early years of his. Look it up. You should see it's an interesting uh, heavy metal band. And, and, you, and you were practically, before even recording the first Ramones album, you were already with them. Oh, yeah. Was, as I said, I was doing uh, sound for them first. Yeah. At CBGB's hanging out there and uh, watching all different groups. Mainly in the early years, the only other people watching the Ramones were other groups. So we all watch each other. You know what I mean? That was the only people in the early until they got, you know, some publicity and people started showing up and it became like a, a thing to go to CBGB's, you know? Yeah, definitely. How And how was that the recording of that first album, man? How was the vibe there? I, I can imagine you guys were were expecting like something so big to happen and or how was the vibe? And the Well, the, I mean, it was very quick. I mean, uh, they, they spent like $6,000 on the whole album. They recorded it in Radio City Musical. It was a recording studio there. Oh. I really wasn't involved in recording, basically. I was more involved in their live shows at, in, in the early years. So, But they, they did everything quickly, fast, 
Craig Leon produced it. Tommy was there. Tommy also, uh, in between years before the Ramones, was uh, doing assistant engineering. He actually worked a little bit assistant engineering on Jimi Hendrix album. And uh, so that's what he really wanted to do in the, in the early years. He didn't want to uh, be in the band, really. He just wanted to produce and manage them, you know. Of course. And he was heavily into uh, recording. Uh, you know, he's an assistant engineer, so he knew a lot about recording and PAs, and he helped me work on the PA and stuff like that. And in the early years, we worked, collaborated together to get the sound that the Ramones needed in the live shows. So, uh, the, you know, Tommy was heavily involved in our first album, but Craig, Craig Leon was there. And uh, as I said, I was more involved in the live shows than the recording at that time. So I can imagine... Later on, I went, I went to the recording sessions because I had to bring the, the crew and the equipment in and stuff later on. The, the early years, I wasn't involved in that first uh, album, more like the live shows. So you started getting involved in Road to Ruin and Rocket to Russia? Well, no, I was there from the beginning uh, as far as being in the studio. Okay. You know, more the, you know, the first, the second, third, after the first album, I, I was I was around more. Yeah. And I, I suppose you went with them to Europe when they when they toured the first time that the class and the pistols and everybody was trying to get into those shows. Right? Well, 76, it was two shows. They couldn't afford to take me for those two shows. 77, we came back. From then on, I was at every single show. And then, you know, the Clash, and all, they all, we saw the Clash and the Sex Pistols again there. So, uh, and that was the tour we did, 77, the Talking Heads of Europe and all that. That was there, a big From then on, I was there for all the shows, basically. There, 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 I missed there, a few shows in the beginning okay. uh, because they couldn't afford to take me to the, for those two shows in Europe. But uh, from then on, I was there. It was over 2,200 shows. Yeah, amazing. 2,200 shows, right, in 20 years. Yeah. And how was the, how was the situation in England in '77 when you guys went there? Because you did several cities, and I, I believe the Ramones were a huge influence in British punk, right? Oh yeah, sure. All those groups came to see the Ramones. They were influenced by the Ramones. They came backstage. I think a famous. The second time we went over there, Johnny Rotten, we played a joke on him. It's a famous joke. Uh, They used to give us beer and pitchers. We hated that because on my rider, we never wanted beer and pitchers because you never knew what was going on in that beer, you know. So at that time, uh, we uh, at, after the show, we knew he was coming back to say to visit the band. So they pissed a little bit in the beer and gave him beer to drink. <laughs> he didn't notice because the, the English like at that time was like the beer was warm and. So but that was a famous joke we played on Johnny Rod. There initially they thought the Ramones were like a gang or something, a little afraid of them in the beginning, you know, because the way they looked and kind of like a gang like thing. So they were a little bit apprehensive first meeting the band. They didn't know what to expect, you know. Yeah. And, and I can imagine the talking heads, they must have been really nervous opening for the Ramones in Europe, right? Uh, no, they held their own pretty much, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, were great. I mean, they were terrific. Definitely. Great band. And it's, they were great people, too, except you know, Dave was a little... We hung out more with uh, Chris and Tina, who are good friends of mine now. And uh, But David was kind of like by himself, mostly. He, he didn't associate with the band much. But they they, they held their own. They, they filled, People enjoyed them. Yeah, Chris Franz in his book talks beautifully about the Ramones and that experience when they would come out and the energy would start flowing, you know, an amazing live band. I was able to see 
to see you guys in uh, 19, by the end of 1991 at the Ritz in New York. Ah, great venue. Yeah. It's called Webster Hall now. And um, Monty, when Tommy left the band and Marky came in, how was the vibe? Did the, did, did the vibe of the band change? How, how did things went on and how, was, how did it flow once that Marky came in and Tommy left the band? Well, it was a good transition. Tommy had enough. He really didn't, as I said, he really yeah. just wanted to produce them and manage them. And touring was grinding down on him. He didn't really like to tour very much. Uh, you know, he, he, it was grinding on him that he didn't like touring very much. But he had uh, hinted around. He said, look, I'm going to probably leave, and but I'll stick around. He says he's going to stick around and help produce the albums, which he did, which was great, you know. And Marky was a terrific drummer. He was, he was hanging out at CBGB's a lot, so they knew him. He's a good friend of his. And uh, what, what Tommy did is work with Marky because Tommy really developed that Ramon's uh, drumming style. It was a new thing because he was a, drum, a guitar player who sat down on the ones and kind of developed that drumming style. He wasn't a drummer, really, but he was a great musician. And so uh, Marky, he worked with Marky for like a month or so, because Marky's a great drummer, you know, he could, but, but he still had to come in and get that Ramon's groove that Tommy invented, actually. And he was a great drummer. He fit in very well, and they, it, it worked out very well at the time, you know? Yeah, this constant. I had Tommy there working with him, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I told you, I really like the way he drums with uh, Richard Held and the Voidoids. You notice that he's a he's a really good musician, and he's uh, doing great now. Actually, when the Ramones uh, retired in '96, he asked me to be his manager. I managed him for the first two years and got him his first uh, record deal, and uh, sent him on the road with some other guy named Warren Cohn, a very good friend of mine. Who's as as for as. Uh, Well, managed tour manager, and I tried to. I got him his first record deal. He had two records out. Uh, Rock and Roll and the Intruders, I believe it was. Had you ever heard any of those uh, albums? No. no. I should listen to them. They're very good. Yeah, I'm going to get into it. So, but the problem with was <laughs> I had with you know, Mark was coming from the Ramones, which are very big and well known, and they were getting a lot of money. But I couldn't get as much money for Marky at the time. You know, it's just Mark and Roll, and it was rough. So he had travel, not as great transportation, the hotels weren't as top grade as we, the Ramones were getting. So, it, it, you know, he it was a bit upset about all that. And then we parted very friendly ways. You know, he got another manager and he's doing great now. He's playing all over the place. I mean, he's huge now. You know, and he's, he's, he has a serious XM radio show also. So uh, that's what happened uh, at the end there, you know? Yeah, I think um, we played a, we played a, a festival together in Mexico City in 2009 called the Vive Latino. I don't know if you're aware of that festival. No, no, It's no. pretty, pretty big. Marky was there too. Anyway, you you must have so many stories with these guys, man. The same way that you were telling us about that Johnny Rodden situation. Can you come up with a couple of uh, anecdotes or some a couple of stories that, you know? Well, that's why I put out this book. <laughs> For sure, man. We were going to talk about the book for sure, definitely. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have a million stories. 22 years, there's so many different stories. Yeah. I mean, uh, any specific area you're thinking about that I could talk to you about? I mean, well, maybe Mexico, when you guys went to Mexico well, yeah, the first remember, time. Yeah, Tijuana <laughs> was a trip and a half. It <laughs> well, was a crazy crowd there. They were really 
jumping all over the place and uh, heavy duty smosh pits and stuff like that. That I remember Tijuana. And I think we played a theater in Mexico City, I believe, was it? Do you remember where we played in Mexico? I, re I remember you played uh, the Mexico first City. time. I believe you played like in a in a in a water in a water place. I don't you remember know, that. Like, water uh, place. <laughs> yeah, like one of those. Uh, how do you call those with with those uh, slides? Balneario, yeah, with slides. Water park. That. Balneario, el Balneario Zapopan, something like that. I don't really remember, man, the name. That uh, I don't remember though. I remember yeah, Tijuana and some place in Mexico City, it's like a theater. Or something and I or, think it was like an open show, you know, like 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 not in a in an inside venue, like an open show. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that one. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> my memory. You know, you're talking about so many different shows. And what what about Argentina? How did it go down there? Oh my God, that that was amazing there. I mean, that we didn't realize how big we were down there. I mean, there was like fanatical uh, fans down there. I'm probably the Argentina, Chile, Brazil, Mexico were the biggest, the, the most fanatical and one greatest fans we've had. So Argentina, the first time we went there, we didn't realize how big we were. So we got out of the air in the airport. All of a sudden, there's like hundreds and hundreds of people there. You know, we had trouble getting out of the airport and we got to a hotel. We didn't realize that these kids were there 24 hours outside. We had a, there's a thing in Marky's video. We we're trying to get out of the hotel and there, it was like a one way street to the right. And the car blocks us and we got stuck there and they're, they're pounding on the thing. And I'm going, what the hell is going on? I had like four security people at the time, you know, and uh, we couldn't get out. And we finally got out. They were rocking the van. It was like insane. Everybody's like, wow. You know, <laughs> they were, you know, friendly, but they were like, bang, bang, bang. Hey, you know, and we, and we got kicked out of like three different hotels there in Argentina because the kids would stay outside bang on the windows, finally found a hotel that had a big fence around it, but the kids were out there 24 hours a day, like chanting, hey, hey, oh, let's go. And, you know, so it was it was nice. And also they, the band liked to go out sometimes. We couldn't go out anywhere. They couldn't go out anywhere, but we had to, you know, go, go to a restaurant, had to clear the restaurant out or to and from the airport. There was kids following us in cars. And actually we had to go to the back. I think we were the only ones, us and Michael Jackson and the president of Argentina, we were allowed to go to back of the airport, you know, wow. away from the passenger terminal, you know, because it was so big. And was we didn't this, realize how big we are. Yeah, man, that must have been amazing. Was that in Buenos Aires or, or all yeah. over the country? Well, most of the fans, the heavy fans were in Buenos Aires, but all the other, there was fans following everywhere, basically. But the heaviest was Buenos Aires. Yeah, because Argentina is really a rock country, man. They love yeah. rock and roll down there. Yeah, I think we went over there early and the kids really connected with the Ramones, the, the feeling and everything. And other bands hadn't gone over there yet, so we went over there and they just, they loved them and they still do. I mean, Marky goes there, CJ goes there, Richie goes there. I'd like to get back. And <laughs> I kept, when the, my book came out, I said, bring me back, I'll sign some books. For but sure. the economy was... Whatever, I'll go. Anybody out there, bring and me you, down there. Well, I'm happy to come back. And Side actually, in, in your book version, edited in Ar Argentina, you added a chapter yes, talking Marianne, about Argentina, right? Yeah, that guy, wonderful guy, Mariana Ash, uh, helped me with that. So he said, I'll, I'll get you a publisher, but I want to write a little bit about, you know, the Ramones in Argentina. So I said, okay, I had a chapter. 
So that's that's nice. Because, I mean, it's, they're so huge down there. It's, it's, it's incredible. Would you consider Argentina like like the heaviest fan base for the Ramones? Yeah, they were the, one of the biggest. Yeah, because it sounds amazing, man. What happened to you guys? It was one of the heaviest. It was. Intense. I mean, the band, you know, Johnny wanted to go out and walk around. He couldn't do that. He was a little upset about that. I could go out. They didn't really recognize me. But, you know, it's hard going to uh, restaurants and back and forth from the airport, back and forth from the hotel to this venue. They, they follow us in cars, beep, 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 and getting in and out. It was like, it's amazing. Was, they got a feeling what a huge group was like there. You know what I mean? What a, a major touring act was like, you know? Definitely. Definitely. I've, you know, I've, I've heard, Monty, that uh, Johnny Ramos was a very intense guy. Is, is this true? That's one of the words for him. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like like the leader of the band? Well, he's like like the general, you know? The general, he set okay. down the rules and would follow the business and uh, made sure everything went well during the show. And uh, yeah, he was, it was intense. That's one word for it. And how was Didi, man? <laughs> Which Didi? There was many, many different Didi's, unfortunately. He was a multiple personality. Really? The nice Didi, the good Didi was great. Then there was the crazy Didi, the addic addicted Didi, the... Uh, You know, possessed DD. There was all sorts of different DDs I had to deal with, you know. And he was yeah. also a genius songwriter and musician DD, which was terrific, you know. So he was kind of a you wouldn't you wouldn't really know what to expect from him. Yeah, you never knew. Sometimes it's okay. good, sometimes it's bad. It was it was hard. Sometimes in the road, uh, you know, uh, after before the show, making sure. He stayed in the hotel around the area that he'd like to go off and do his thing, you know, uncontrolled. Yeah. And, and Joey, Joey seems pretty laid back. Yes. He was started off very laid back and then the bigger they got, the more he got into his personality and his to doing things and uh, interviews and stuff like that. And he, he, he evolved over the years. That's what Ramones did. I mean, the first Ramones, early years were very raw. They were just learning stuff, learning, learning to the, their instruments well and all that and songwriting and the way they looked. If you see some early shots of the Ramones there, because they, they, they were on the transition between the glam period and the, and the, and the punk period. So they had a lot of, well, their favorite, you know, the dolls are around. They're big dolls fans and groups like Slade. So if you look at first Ramones, they were, They, you know, Johnny was in like satin pants and <laughs> a leopard skin top or something like that. But they figured that that the clothing at the glam period was too expensive to, you know, platform shoes and all that stuff was too expensive. They figured, well, just wear what they were wearing in the streets, which is basically leather jackets and jeans and jeans with ripped in them because they couldn't afford new jeans. Now it's crazy if you pay people paying for ripped <laughs> jeans. What the? Ridiculous. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in, you know, let's late 60s and all that. Uh, I was I went to Woodstock and all that. Uh, you, you put nice. a patch on, the, on your jeans. <laughs> But now people are paying hundreds of dollars for ripped jeans. You know, and the Ramones started all that, basically. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, but I remember the Dolls, man. The Dolls, what a great band. And now the only survivor is David Johansson, right? Yes. They're, they all rest in peace, just like the original Ramones. And I also wanted to ask you, Monty, how was the end of the century recording days? I, was it very complicated to work with Phil Spector? And I also believe there's a song in that album that they talk about you. They mention you, right? Well, 
talk about Phil Spector. You got to watch that Showtime uh, series on Phil Spector that goes through the whole what he went through with him. Yeah, he was a trip and a half to work. I mean, initially he said, wow, the legend Phil Spector, that's great. Because in 1977, when we played the whiskey, he came backstage and said, I, I want to work with you guys. I love you guys. And he looked like, if you look at my books, picture him, and he's, he's got a cape on and he's got the, like a devil beard and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. He came back with a bunch of bodyguards. He was like intimidating, but he said, well, I love you guys. So Seymour Stone finally got him to do the all, uh, end of the century album. And uh, yeah, working with him was a trip and a half. He was pretty much on and off, you know. He had guns on him. He didn't point them at the band. He took them out sometimes. We know he had guns on him. He was a bit, uh, he wouldn't let anybody in the studio to watch, come and visit. And there was one time we wanted to leave. He come up to me, give me the, you know, cause I drove the van for them in the in early years there. And, uh, and he said, give me the keys in a van. I can't leave and stuff like that. He it was intimidating and stuff like that. It was pretty much crazy. He'd go in and out of the bathroom and change clothes. He'd come in like a regular hat and shirt and go into the dress into the bathroom. And I think he was drinking in there and doing other things and come out in a cape and a totally different look. It was like bizarre. You know what I mean? And I, I can imagine it was kind of tense. Yes, it was. I mean, Johnny didn't like it. Uh, Dee Dee wasn't happy. Joey loved him, and Mark got along well with him. I think he liked Joey more than the other guys. Uh, and, you know, we went up to his house once, a couple of times, and to get in and out of his house, he had, to, he had to unlock the doors both ways. You couldn't get out or in without getting in with a key. So he kept us up there for like hours and hours and hours watching some crazy horror movie or something and playing his piano and he wouldn't let us out. It was like bizarre, really bizarre. But uh, yeah, as far as that song goes, yeah, Joey wrote me into this song all the way. If you play the song all the way, it's like there's uh, Monty's driving me crazy. It's like being in the Navy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm happy to be in a Ramon song. There's, course, he wrote another yeah. song that's kind of on demo records uh, that uh, it's a beautiful life or a happy life and a beautiful day or something and monty turns into satan or something like that but that's like a demo or something but that one all the way if you listen to that it's a good you know i'm happy to be in a ramon song also and then that song he writes about how the van's driving him crazy the monitor man are driving him crazy but then he puts in like i'm never gonna grow old which is sad you know this yeah. he actually wrote in that song it's kind of a little sad thing he said something about him not growing old or something but I'm happy to be in a Ramones song. Yeah, man, I can imagine. You really, you must miss them a lot, Monty. Oh, yeah. I mean, the four originals were just totally amazing. You know, they were just totally amazing. And also, you know, um, Local Live, the uh, album Local Live, which has the, the front cover has the, um, you know, those crazy dinosaurs on it. I yeah. think... That was a Kastabi dinosaur thing. He put the good, good uh, Mexican hats on dinosaurs. I don't know where it was. Coletius <laughs> Amigos, that's why. But Kastabi, at that time, you know, early on when they, you know, Danny Fields and Linda Stein were the first managers. When they left, Gary Kerfers came in, huge manager. He uh, managed the Talking Heads and B-52s and uh, Bob Marley, million people, very heavy-duty manager. But he said, I want part of your merchandising. Ramon said, no, they made a lot of money on merchandising. So he said, okay, I'm going to pick 
the covers for the uh, some of the albums. So some of the albums look kind of weird. Uh, some of the covers because you pick these paintings and buy these paintings, and then put them on the cover to kind of maybe boost the the uh, price of the painting stuff. So he was a little pissed off that the Ramones wouldn't give him any merchandising. So the front cover of Adios Amigos, of course, has that. You know the uh, there's the front yeah. cover. Yeah. Which is uh, dinosaurs with Mexican hats on it, <laughs> but the ba- I think the back cover. Are you familiar with the back cover of the album? No, no. Oh, okay, uh, let me. Yeah, I've seen it. Now, definitely. You see the Mexican yeah. down there? That's yeah. me. That's me <laughs> with a hat. Yeah. So I'm the on the back cover of Adios Amigos because I mean Arturo Vega. Is actually a Mexican. He was I, wanted, Mexican. I wanted to ask you about Arturo Vega, actually. But he wasn't at that recording session. So George DeBow is a great photographer. He took like a number of different uh, covers for the Ramones, said, uh, well, I need a Mexican down there. Well, here, you put the hat on and sit down there and take your shirt off. So I'm on the back. Of the... I thought that that should have been the uh, cover for the, uh, the front cover of the Ramones. Because if you notice also, if you notice they're facing away, yeah, they're actually they're facing away from the firing squad. You don't face away from a firing squad, but there was that was a little message saying we're this is it, we're leaving, you know, like goodbye. Yeah, and Monty, is it true that Arturo Vega, which was Mexican, you just mentioned him, he did, did he do the, the the original Ramones logo? Yes. Oh, sure. Okay. He was involved in merchandising. And actually, the first Ramon shirt just had the name Ramones on it. But being from Mexico, the flag of Mexico has an eagle on it, right? Yeah, there's an eagle. Exactly. So he had that in his back of his mind. So if you look at the first album cover, the back is a buckle with an eagle on it. That's Arturo. Exactly. So the first, actually, the first Ramon shirt had a, just Ramones on it, the name. The second one had a, that, that eagle on it, which is like a different type of eagle. And it's getting like a, like an arrow with one of the paws, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just an eagle, which wasn't anything actually special about it. It was a, a, a very plain type of eagle. Let me see if I have a picture of that. But um, uh, if you can see it. There you go. Uh, no, 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 no. There it is. No, no, hold there. on. Oh, there. Do you see the eagle? Yeah. That was a very basic eagle that came from the belt buckle. See, there's the first, there's the young and that, dudes. And there's, there. That's Arturo right there. And that's me next to him. <laughs> and you're, and you're next, oh, okay. All the young dudes. <laughs> right. So right. that's the first shirt. And then he, <laughs> we went to, um, we were at Washington, D.C. And in Washington, he saw the great seal of the United States. That's okay. the great seal of the United States. He said, wow, this looks great. I'm going to do something with him. And then he developed the whole thing there. There's Arturo when he looked right. like when I first met him. Get my finger out of the way. And he's got the bat. You know, if you notice yeah. the shirt he's wearing, he used that in a shield. See the shield? Yeah. The eagle. He, that was a shirt he was wearing. That's okay. why he looked when I first met him. He was like pretty well wild dresser in, in, in the early years. And the, the bat, of course, was Johnny. He liked baseball and beat on the brat. It's an American type of thing. Okay. And the uh, the original was uh, Olive Branch, the Eagles holding, but that's the that's Apple Branch that the Eagles holding. And the beautiful part about that is the circular thing with that 
all the names were in it. So when one guy left, they just plugged and played a different person in it, you know? So he saw that seal. He said, hmm, I'm going to do this. Genius. That's that, awesome, that, man. That shirt now with the logo is huge. People wear it. They don't even know what the Ramones are, but they like the shirt. All over the world, man. All over the world. He was a genius. And also he did, he was a great artist. You know, that's how he started as, as an artist, really. Uh, and uh, he used his artistic development in Ramones, became the art director and also the lighting director. He did terrific lighting for the Ramones. And he also had a loft, right, where, where they would crash every once in a while, yeah. the Ramones well, he, they spent yeah, the night actually, there? Yeah, actually in the early years, Johnny, uh, not John, Joey and Dee lived there on and off. And uh, the Ramones first came there and hung out. The loft, which is like a block away from CBGB's. Okay, that, that was Arturo's loft. Arturo, yeah. And, and Unfortunately, he's gone now. It was just sad. Because him, myself, and Arturo were the only persons there from the beginning of the Ramones to the end of the Ramones. Now I'm the only one left, really. I was there from the beginning to the end, all the way to the end. Wow. Because Johnny, Joey, you know, uh, and when did Arturo, other people. When did Arturo pass away, Monty? What, what year is that? I can't remember. It's, yeah. a, it's a couple of the four or five years ago. Can't remember exactly. Yeah, who was he was uh, very, very um, good friends of, of some of the some guys that I met in, in the early punk movement in Mexico called the Osunas. Yeah. They were very good friends with Arturo. Well, he's great. He was a really talented guy. He made a lot of friends. He worked on the Vans Warp Tour, selling Ramones merchandising there, and became very good friends with a lot of bands and stuff like that. And uh, Monty. I mean, 20 years, 2,200 shows. You're talking about a lifetime, man. Yeah. Can you tell us a, a concert that you will never forget or a right. night? That yeah, a couple so of, I, got a, I got a book full of them. By the way, I thought it was from Chihuahua, Mexico, by the way. Yeah. You know that? Chihuahua. It's funny. Yeah. The book. yeah, it's a state in the north of the country. Yeah. Well, I've had many. Well, I'll go with one. We were in Spain. And um, we played a bull ring, you know. Okay. So uh, the day before, I went to the bull ring to check it Plaza out. Plaza de Toros. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I went there to check it out early, and we were. I was back in the back with the bull. The pens were with the bulls. I was leaning over, and my sunglasses fell into the pen with the bulls down there. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go down and get someone to get it out of there, and. Um, there's a picture of me in the book where I'm practicing with a, there's like a roller thing with horns on it with a matador's practice in my book. There's a picture of me there. So during, uh, we always had in big shows, we needed barriers. In fact, in clubs later on, we needed barriers because the Ramones really didn't like people to jump on stage. You know, people do jump on stage, dive, uh, dive into the audience, stage dive. They didn't want anybody on stage because it's their show. They didn't want people running around and interrupting the show. Johnny was very strict about that. So I always had, had to have barriers initially after the you know, first couple of years of craziness going on on stage. And the big shows, of course, always had huge you know, barriers with security. So I said, look, I need some security guards in the barrier, definitely. You know? So the show starts, and all of a sudden, the army comes out in front with machine guns. In the front row and in, in the barrier, they actually use the like, army people instead of like bouncers, you know, 
<laughs> that is probably the best security I've ever had, you know. <laughs> El ejército español. The Spanish army in a remote concert. That's surreal, man. With guns, they had freaking guns. <laughs> they didn't wow. realize. I just needed security people, not, you know, the army. So that was pretty strange. Yeah, I can imagine that. What about, did you, did you, did you play in Hungary? Did you play in Poland and, and that kind of country? Well, we played when Czechoslovakia was breaking up, Slovenia, Slovakia. Okay. And that was pretty crazy because the war was still going on and we were driving through, it's like bombed out places and we could, it was pretty dangerous going in and out of that country at the time, you know, Slovenia, Slovakia and all that. Like what year was that? Played, uh, Czechoslovakia, Prague, I think we played Prague. Oh God, got <laughs> on years, it's in the 80s probably. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been a hell of an experience, man. Whenever that, the revolution over there, you know, Czechoslovakia broke up into different countries there, you know. The, the big fans there. There's a huge Ramones, Serbia Ramones fan club or something like that out there. Okay. And I was also thinking, Monty, that uh, your, your band 30 Days Out, I believe you did two albums, 71 and 72. So when you went with, when you started working with the Ramones, you already had a certain experience as a musician working with a big record label and all that kind of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But Tommy also had a lot of experience Uh, and, you know, working as an assistant engineer in recording studios, and he knew a lot about, oh, uh, he had all record labels and stuff like that. I really didn't help him with that because Tommy was more involved. As I said, you know, because in the early years, Tommy had his Ramones going on at the studio. I had my own other, I was still in other bands at the time. Okay. And do you have any idea how did Tommy develop this peculiar drum style? Well, as I said, he had to sit down and show other drummers that they were trying to find a drummer. When he pulled Joey off the drums to sing, they needed a drummer. So he would, drummers would come in and could, they were so raw in the beginning. I mean, if you see some of the early shows are stopping, starting, they're, they're arguing, you know, and all that. And they were just developing that whole Ramon style, which is different, you know, quick songs, bum, bum, fast, 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 and different type of rhythm, stuff like that. So Tom would sit down on the drums and play along with the drums, try to show these drummers, you know, this is what you got to do. So that's how he developed that style. I mean, he was a great musician, but as I said, he was a guitar player really more than yeah. a drummer. But he could play also the different instruments. And he developed that specific style, like a minimalist drum type of style. And Marky, when he came in, He worked with Mark to, to develop that. Mark being a great drummer, got it pretty well, but it took him like a couple of weeks. And Tom, Tommy actually sat down and he, he watched Tommy play a few times in the early years, shows and stuff like that before uh, he joined the group. Okay. Monty, I, I think this is a tough question. What is your favorite Ramones album? I, I, I think I don't have a favorite album. I, I like a favorite song, which is All The Way. Okay. But I like a lot of different albums, the different songs and different, things on all different albums well that's a classic first yeah one. i uh, love this album and this is a roberta bailey's picture and this is the first marky ramon album right yeah When that one was uh john holmstrom somebody did a an original cover with that that is a cartoon and holmstrom re redid it into that particular image yeah john holmstrom who did the cover of my album uh, my book my album. john holmstrom did the cover of my book he that did was this john right? holmstrom Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He did the back and then the, he, and inside the sleeve, if you open up the sleeve in that one, 
He did the cartoons in yeah, there. All, all the cartoons in here. That's like he did a great show, job. Yeah, and then later on, the uh, Arturo picked some of these for T-shirts. Nice. Yeah. So, this is great. I love John. Please. Actually, actually, as a matter of fact, they did something in Germany like last year with John. We did a little Ramones convention. John also, George Chabose, Marky was there. It was his 70th birthday. Nice. Last year. John Hallstrom's still around then. Oh, he's doing great. He just put a great, a new edition of Punk Magazine with Iggy, a whole Iggy Pop issue. I remember it? that Punk Magazines, man. They, they did, it didn't last long, but there's a book. Yeah, he's got it's a great book the, out. The book, yeah. And, but uh, uh, if you get, now he's got a new Punk Magazine came out with Iggy, all okay. Iggy Pop issue, if you look at it. When great. did it come out? Just like recently. Okay. Yeah. Now, Uh, Monty, please talk us, uh, let us know about your book. When did you write it? How long? Well, originally it came out late 2003, 2004. Okay. First edition. And uh, what happened was, uh, you know, I didn't, I'm not really a writer, but uh, Joey had put out his uh, solo album on Sanctuary Records. A good friend of mine, Kevin Patrick, terrific He actually manages Matt and Kim now. He was in the record business, Sony, and he had his own record label, Madison Records. He knew the, the guy from Sanctuary very well. And, and, and at that time, Joey put out his uh, first solo album. And uh, he said they had a publishing company. So he brought me down. The guy said, great, let's do it. I said, I'm not really a writer. So they, they were looking for ghostwriters. And they came up with a few guys, but they got this guy. Frank Meyer came up, and he's terrific really talented guy. He was, he's in the street walking cheetahs. He's, he loved the Ramones. He was also a journalist and knew tons about the Ramones. And so I said, this guy's great. You know, he's, I met him and I decided to, we started working together. It took about a year and uh, he did such a great job. They gave him co-writing for the book. So it's me and Frank Meyer co-wrote wrote the book, but I had a whole room full of like, Uh, memorabilia, you know, posters and tour passes, tour itineraries, tons of stuff in this room. My ex-girlfriend, I was going to throw some of the stuff out. This girl named Shiro, she said, don't throw it out, you know, because this could be, who knew at that time, you know, I had all this stuff. So I kept room full of stuff. So I had tons of stuff. So he'd come over to my house and we worked, picked out a bunch of stuff. So the good thing about my book is that the publishing company, which was Sanctuary Publisher, the first publisher there, uh, let me put in like 250 images, lots of color images. And if you look at my book, the way that the art director put the, 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 the text in it with different images behind it, and it's tons filled with images. Usually books are like you know, text, 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 pictures in the middle, text, text, text. My book is like full of pictures, yeah. albums, posters, Torah tenors, all the minutiae that, I went through, you know, which I was very lucky. And uh, then over the years, I updated it several times. It's like two different, three different editions. And the last one I came up with, uh, I'd self-published myself on Kindle, uh, KDP Publishing, uh, Amazon Publishing, which is called the bonus edition, which I added 40 more pages to the original. So over the years, I've updated, because over the years, things happened with Ramones after they retired in 96. So I kept on putting things in the book, you know. Of course. Unfortunately, people died and the monuments, you know, Johnny's Ramones memorial statue, this and that. Tommy passed away. But things about Arturo were put in. And 
So uh, I've had like three different, four different uh, editions of the book. Well, I hope to. I hope you publish it in Mexico, man. Well, if you know I, any publishers, send them my way. You got my for sure, email. definitely. I got your email, and I, I got, and I have your later. Later, I'll send you my my um, my cell cell number, so maybe we can keep uh, the relationship, communicating ourselves. Sure. Please, uh, my dear Monty, feel free to say goodbye any way you want. Well, adios, amigos. Y como está la banda.
Got that. 